Blog Talk Radio. Many nights we've prayed with no proof anyone could hear. In our hearts a hopeful song we barely understood. Now we are not afraid, although we know there's much to fear. We were moving mountains long before we knew we could. There can be Who knows what miracles you can achieve When you believe somehow you will You will when you believe In this time of fear when prayers so often proved in vain, hope seemed like the summer burns to swiftly flown away. Yet now I'm standing now here, I'm standing with hearts here. so full I can't explain, seeking faith and speaking words I never thought I'd say. There can be.
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Portico of Solomon. Uh, I think I've got my audio correct now, so a nice little intro there, a nice way to, to set the mood for everything, sending out my last-minute messages to folks that, that are uh, listening in, um, some that may or may not be able to join us in the chat or, or online, but I, I see lots of people are listening in. So I've got the chat launched. Um, if you folks want to uh, you know, reload your page and get on the chat that way, we're starting to get a few people in there. Um, let me get my brothers on and uh, introduce them. Hey, Tams, we got you. Hey, how you doing? <clears throat> I'm doing good. How are you? I'm all right. Nice, nice. Nice to, uh, to be here doing the show again. Uh Lots of lots of prep time, lots of you know wondering to talk about, but when we finally get in here and, and get settled in, it's really it's really peaceful. It really eases eases all the, any anxieties that are on my mind. If you, if you understand what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's good to be yeah. good to be with you. <clears throat> Something about uh, the God that does that. So let me bring on. Uh, other caller, Matthew, is this you? It is. It is me. Hey, Matthew. How you guys doing, man? How are you? Oh, doing I'm real good. Real good. good. Like, like I was telling Tams, it's you know you've got lots of things going on and and everything's kind of well, but but we get in here and it's just it's 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 uh, it's a very comfortable feeling, a very uh, easing of of the heart getting in here and then just seeing all of our brothers and sisters get into the chat. Um, it's it's really uh, pleasing. To my, I don't know if it is to yours, Matthew. <laughs> oh yes, it is. Uh, you're right. Uh, the only comfort uh, that I might find uh, is right here uh, in the Bible. All you have to do is is, is read it, uh, understand what is to come, and uh, most people don't realize that. That you know, Jose, psychologically, uh, everybody on this planet knows this uh, academically, that the greatest fear that all of us have is quite simply not knowing. It's just not knowing. Um, And, of course, that's why uh, our Savior and King uh, gave us detailed instructions that, well, you don't worry about that kind of stuff, about uh, what you're going to, uh, you know, eat and what you're going to wear. Uh, He made it perfectly clear that uh, you had been uh, elected from the very beginning. And with that in mind, the rest is just junk. But it always comes down to uh, not whether you have clothes or not, um, you know, or whether you have food or not, but people always worry about the morrow. Will I have? Once I eat, uh, you know, this, uh, this corn on the cob, will I get another one tomorrow? Uh, this is the lock, stock, and barrel of of fear, the not knowing. Uh, yes, you certainly can have clothes today, but, uh, you know, as I learned in the military, uh, when I was over there on the BMZ, uh, we went through a field exercise for one month, and when we got back, uh, our captain was court-martialed because, he, uh, because the United States Army had to resupply all of our uh, uniforms because they had dry-rotted on us. Uh, so when everybody went to the laundromat uh, and stuck their clothes in the washer, they, of course, come out rags. Uh, 
Um, and he was warned uh, ahead of time before this uh, field operation that uh, monsoon season is coming. You probably don't want to be in the field. Well, we got stuck in the field. Um, literally within uh, two days, uh, the mud was over the tracks of the vehicles. Uh, literally, the, the, the Humvee tires, you couldn't see them. It literally turned into soup. And it rained for 30 days. Uh, it rained an entire month, so we could not be gotten out. We could not move. We just sat there and literally dry rotted is what we did. So, um, you know, it's it's very precarious tomorrow, uh, however it comes. So, uh, you know, psychologically, uh, the academics know this, that 99% of humanity's fear is what is to come uh, tomorrow. Um, that's, of course, why uh, we are warned about building bigger and better barns to store, store our stuff in because just like this generation, uh, Jose, that's where their faith is. Uh, let's, let's, let's not mince any words here. There's no purpose to do so. Um, 90% of all prayers are, of course, concerning money. You know, give me enough money so I can buy a new car. It's, we never ask for miracles anymore, do we, Jose? Um, never. No. That, that never even crosses our mind, and why is that? Uh, that that somebody would would say, uh, Lord, give me twenty dollars instead of you know uh, tomorrow morning when I get up uh, to say my prayers. Uh, let me put my you know my robe on and before I even get dressed, put my robe on and put my slippers on and go outside. And all of a sudden there be uh, carrots everywhere poking out of the ground, and I just realize that that hey, uh, that's not a weed, that's a carrot. Uh, so it's amazing uh, to me. Whenever you get into, you know, the Bible, the biblical mindset, uh, it forces you to see a different way. Uh, it, it forces you to forget about the stuff, and it's it is my favorite uh, place to go. It, it's absolutely my place, my favorite place to go for comfort, because I'm eternally reminded that, you know what? Um, I'm sorry, boys and girls, but uh, Abraham never asked for money. He didn't. Um, Moses never asked for money. Um, I mean, I, I I hate to rain on your party, but that never crossed Isaac's mind. Not ever. Uh, he really didn't care about the currency uh, of the current crisis he was in. That, that never really crossed his mind. So, uh, I know I was a little bit long-winded there, but... but Yes, what you say is exactly true, and I couldn't have said it any better, Jose. Uh, it is the perfect place for comfort. Well, Matthew, you know, the more the more I read the Bible, the more I um, converse with my brothers and sisters and see what's going on, and the more you see things in this world, you know, either close to home or, you know, out in the news, the more learned for that day um, that the Lord finally decides he's had enough and his fury comes up in his face. Then all these other drapings and all these other, you know, things that we're pretending to be, or the, you know, these fancy things that we're hanging about ourselves to try to, you know, live in this world, that those fall away and and, and it'll be 
it'll be you and the Lord and that faith that you have in him and in what he's promised. And we get promises here uh, in the story of Noah and his three sons. And we get to see what is to come uh, in in this, um, in what we're going to go over today. And I just, it's not a feeling of hopelessness, Matthew, but it's just a feeling of, um, uh, I, how, how can I say it? Not, not that I'm tired of enduring, but, you know, I, I, if, if once the Lord starts the whole process, then we can start we can quit playing games I guess I would say we can quit pretending we can get enough tax um, people will listen at that point they start to see the things that are going around once you know they're in that rain period of time while they're waiting for the Lord while everything else is falling apart for them um I mean, that's, that's just my hope right now, Matthew, um, because there really is, you know, people are going through too many problems, and we know that these secular means of solving those problems are just temporary bandages, and we understand what the real solution to that is, and that's our King and our Lord, and until people can accept that and have faith in that, it's almost, it, it can almost be too much, Matthew. It can almost be too much to sit there and and know that if all they had was just a little bit of faith, the faith of a mustard seed in their Lord, all this other junk wouldn't matter. So, that's you know, right. that's, 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 and that's where, that's where reading my word that's where I gained that strength to continue is in reading my word. Um, because if it was just up to what I, what I had, well, you know, what I felt in my heart and what I felt in my head, um, you know, I, I would cause folks to stumble. So I'm at that right now. Um, that's kind of what I've been going through while, you know, I've been on this little sabbatical, I guess you could say this little hiatus. Tim, let's get your thoughts on, on, on what I just covered right there see where 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 you're at uh in this hoping and this waiting for the lord well i you know i i always start with the uh with where we're supposed to be and if and uh you know when you think about everything that god has given you you know i've been to your house jose i've seen your beautiful wife i've seen the pictures of you when you were married, I've seen the pictures of your children. I've seen your home. And, you know, when you think about everything that God has given you, you can't improve upon those things. The water, the rain, the food that you eat, the family that he's provided you with, those things you find joy and pleasure in. The things that the world offers you, uh, new cars, computers, your boys like to play video games. The thing that they have to have right now, tomorrow they could care less about it. They couldn't care less about it because those things lose their value. But those things which the Lord has provided you with, those things that He has created, those things that He is the foundation on, those things only improve with time and retain their value. 
And the world which is to come is only going to have those things. And in that, I'm encouraged. Amen. Amen. I'd agree with everything you had to say there. Um, I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself, Matthew. No. No, there was no way to no way to suppress that. Um, one thing is for sure. Uh, the Lord uh, is swift to take away uh, as well. Um, all of you know that with me. <laughs> uh, but the Lord is good. Um, and as I look back, uh, everything uh, that was provided uh, for me and at length taken away, uh, whether for good or for bad, uh, I see his wondrous glory. You know, I... I, I I think back to you know my mother. Um, I was just talking to my wife about my mother today, and uh, she misses her, and I miss her dearly. But even though I know uh, I need my mother, um, you know there are things weighing heavily uh, on me right now. Now, that would have been the first thing that I would have did if she would have uh, been you know, still here with me. I would have immediately uh, called her and told her about it, uh, not really for her advice. You know, she 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 knew full well uh, that I knew exactly uh, the choices that I had to make. I had to do what was right. And the other is just the particulars. But she would have prayed for me. And even though I need that more than anything, actually more than the breath that I breathe, uh, even though that is the case, um, I would rather have her where she is. Uh, Even though it's not to my benefit at all. It is not in the least way, shape, or form, my benefit uh, for her to be in uh, her rest. Uh, that, that's not to my benefit at all. But I know that I would always uh, choose uh, her comfort over my curriculum. Uh, no matter what that curriculum is, whether it's, uh, you know, what I have to do today at home or what I have to do today at work, uh, I would always uh, choose that voluntarily. So, um, and it is something that we all need to remember, that the greatest gifts cause the greatest grievances. But you only grieve until you realize that that the Lord your God has given you the strength to choose. You know, Jose, you just endured a great loss. And you will only mourn, and your wife will only mourn until she realizes that. But if she had to choose, or if you had to choose, would you rather your loved one be in their comfort or out here helping you with your curriculum? Your plans, your (laughs) 
your goals. Oh, my goodness, this generation is all about goals, isn't it? Um, we do not need any more motivational speakers, that is for sure. Uh, they want us all to be concerned with our curriculum. Remember that, ladies and gentlemen, that your greatest gifts from the Lord your God will always cause the greatest grievance to you. But you will only grieve until you realize that you love that person way more than you loved yourself. Amen. I've Amen. experienced that the past, uh, well, since the end of June. My my wife and daughter are out of the country right now. Um, they are overseas. We might be adopting uh, my nephew and their visiting family. And, uh, you know, being away from them, I've never been away from my daughter for more than four days on, on business. Um, she still, I mean, uh, my wife, the same thing, since she finished uh, her degree, uh, she's never been away from home longer than a few days. Um, and this past month, I've missed them tremendously. But I've also been encouraged because I know that they are, I know the nature of their visit and the purpose behind it. And it's funny, the things that you that you long for. I I, uh, I long for the ability to comfort my daughter when she's crying over a toy, you know, when you just kind of swoop them up and hug them and hold them and, you know, you, those sounds and, and just that, that comfort. It's, it's, it's funny the things that, uh, that you long for. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all the things he's given me. Those are the things that you can't improve upon. Well, amen, amen. Uh, I mean, I could expound on what on what Matthew's talked about, but you know, uh, <laughs> that would the whole show. Maybe we, sh we should do a show on that, guys, um, about what those losses mean to us, um, about what the loss of my father-in-law has meant to this to this house, to my family. Um, obviously, it's hit my heart as it's her father, and every little thing reminds her of his of his not being here. Um, but I can tell you that those prayers he would say um, provided me with a lot of strength. And you can immediately feel that loss once it's gone. And I know I have other uh, people in me, and I, and I feel that, but I know what it's going to feel like when those prayers are gone. Really imagine what kind of loss Noah would have felt after the flood, regardless of what sins and violence were upon the world, uh, he knew probably a lot of those people that, that were lost. And, you know, that's something that Lord judged the world, and it, it had to take place in order for him to create a new thing. And you can understand what we're going to be going through once he does the same thing uh, the next time around the ride. And so that's particularly why I wanted to go over this chapter, get into it a little bit more, 
and really, of course, you know, what, what we should be doing, reading the Bible to see what is to come, because that's what the Lord tells us what is to come uh, in these in these pages that, he, that he's given us. So um, if you guys don't have anything else, I, I think we should jump in and start reading. Uh, I just want to mention uh, real quick that I've launched a chat of Get In. Uh, it wasn't going when I first when we first started the show, but I've, I've got it in there if you guys want to. Uh, relaunch your windows and, and the chat should be up. Call in number is three four seven two one five six seven nine one. If anyone wants to get on the switchboard and and ha- has questions or, or comments, uh, I see John um, on there right now. Uh, John, if you want to jump on, either send me a note in chat or uh, or put up you know punch punch one on your on your little phone there and let me know you want to jump on um, so you can say hello. I know lots of times you've got friends uh, there listening in, so let me know about that. And uh, if you guys don't have anything else, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and start reading this chapter. Well, just a, a little background. Okay. The the purpose in going through this chapter is exactly uh, what Jose said. It's to um, talk about what is to come, but it's also to define participants because you know when you're doing um, any type of Bible study it's important to know who the participants are and if you have those um, forms then when you read the Bible and you're trying to remember what you read last time if you have the that original form of each type it will be much easier for you to identify that in future in future readings um, I have read this hundreds of times. I've read it in the Hebrew, I've read it in the Greek, I've read it in, in English, and um, as my knowledge increases, the amount of things that I'm able to see has increased exponentially. Uh, and we probably won't have time to get into everything, but uh, listeners, what you should be doing is you should be looking at any type of um, timeline, whether it be the gospel story whether it be the Exodus, whether it be um, any of these events, and then trying to look for the overlap where those events have happened before and trying to remember the sequence. And, when, and, as, and as you get into the original languages that are used, it will become more easy and more apparent. But this is really a great place to start with just defining those terms so that later on you can de- deconstruct things correctly. Yep, absolutely, Tim. Matthew, uh, something to say before we start reading? No need. Um, there's no need uh, to say anything before <laughs> before you start reading, uh, Jose, um, because Tim's already already prepped it. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I, I know that it's hard for you to understand, but the promises endure. And it's only when you get caught up in this pyramid scheme that you forget that. All of a sudden, you don't have enough, you know, currency to uh, pay your water bill. All of a sudden, you don't have enough currency uh, to, uh, you know, purchase petro to get to your uh, place of labor. Um, And it astounds me uh, how uh, Christians forget that all the promises ever given to the children of God remain 
They do not fade away. Not ever. Just as the burning bush. Just as the rainbow he set amongst the heavens. They endure. And as Jose reads this, remember that. Uh, your promises uh, have not passed away, nor will they ever. And as a matter of fact, whatever the Lord your God has to do to hold to the promises he specifically made to his children, he will wipe even the heavens and the earth out of the way to make sure those promises are met. So we need to remember that uh, as Jose reads this. So let's get this shindig on the road, shall we? All right. Genesis chapter 9 is where we'll be reading from. And uh, I'll read it from the KJV this morning. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. At the hand of man and at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you, be ye fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. And God spoke unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you. And every living creature that is with you, of the, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark, to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, and Ham, and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, 
and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backwards. And they, say, they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall servants. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servants. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So right there, that story relays um, what the Lord declared after the flood and how Noah and his three sons came through the flood. So, Thames, I know you were the one who, were as you were reading this, you know, thought we should cover it um, on the portico. So if you want to give us your, your thoughts from that initial reading, um, you know, what, I guess, the direction that you saw as you were reading this uh, this chapter in the Bible. Well, there's there's two big areas uh, here, and in any particular order you guys want to go uh, first, we can do that. But you have all three types of children that the Lord your God has, as exemplified by Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And you also have a very important reference to the bow in the clouds, uh, which is extremely, both both are extremely prophetic. Um, which do you think we should uh, tackle first? Thoughts? Well, I think uh, we should go, go ahead, Matthew. <laughs> I think that decision should be at the tents. <laughs> well, e- either either way is a good place, right? The end or the beginning, either way. <laughs> okay. Um, well, the bow comes up first, so maybe uh, it would be right that we uh, talk about that. So this bow, I can remember being a kid and uh, people saying, well, that was the rainbow. And um, that's kind of a cool answer. It's cool to think about that that is where the first rainbow was. But I think that's saying a whole lot more than just saying the rainbow is a sign of God's promise not to uh, allow the world to be um, covered with waters and, and uh uh, again, um, but let's just start there. What what is your what is your um, orientation with this uh, reference to the bow? Well, I you know I was kind of lo- along the same lines as you, Tim, growing up. Um, that the bow, meaning the rainbow, um, 
And that, that promise, you know, that's what I thought every time I saw rain and I saw the rainbow, I was reminded of Noah's flood. But of course, because, you know, I, I know what is to come, um, because I know what to expect when I'm reading this chapter, the bow is going to lead me in, a, in another direction. And um, the bow as in, as in the bow and arrows and a certain quiver that the Lord holds for those arrows of that bow. Just as an example, um, I'll read just one verse. Uh, there's, there's many verses where, where this verse or the word bow comes out, um, and it's usually in a different connotation than from what um, what we normally expect. So let me read Zechariah nine verse thirteen. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render, render double unto thee. When I have bent Judah for me, filled the bow with Ephraim, and raised up thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as a sword of a mighty man. And the Lord shall be seen over his arrow shall go forth as a lightning. And the Lord God shall blow the trumpet and shall go with whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with slingstones. And they shall drink and make a noise as through wine, and they shall be filled like bowls and as the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be as the stones of a crown, lifted up as an ensign upon his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the new men cheerful, and new wine the maids. Now I know Matthew and Thames both can hear what, what those verses are saying. Um, and if you read that in the Greek, it says a whole lot more also that we can see. But that just expanded that word bow is going to bring up. Um, talk too much about the rainbow in those other verses in Matthew. Yeah, like I said, it's that bow um, that the Lord's going to go with, that he's going to shoot his arrow. And in that quiver, he has his arrows. And that's right. That's, that's what I see as I read throughout this chapter. Um even beginning with the with the initial command, go forth and multiply, be fruitful. Um, we know what fruit the Lord desires. So that's my initial thoughts on on the bow. Well, well, when I look here at the second sequence of this, uh, it of course has a prefix "hay" on it. Um, and when I think about uh, the Hebrew, where that's spelled the exact way. Um, what immediately comes to mind is uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, uh, 28. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. And as such was the appearance of the likeness, the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Um, <clears throat> of course, that immediately makes you think about Revelation, doesn't it? exactly when these things happen. Um, 
and when you put that, uh, you know, follow that to the next time that word is used with that particular prefix spelled that way, it's uh, the second chapter of Amos. And you begin to understand uh, those verses that you read about the arrows in the quiver, uh, because Amos uh, chapter 2 is quite pointed in what it says. And you're supposed to know uh, from this singular verse, uh, ladies and gentlemen, when the season uh, is going to be for this, because uh, Amos comes right out and tells you. Um, I'll read a couple of these uh, verses here. Uh, but you made the Nazarites drink wine, and you commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I am weighed down beneath you as a wagon is weighed down and filled with sheep. Flight will perish from the swift, and the stalwart will strengthen his power, nor the mighty man save his life. He who grasped the bow will not stand. The swift of foot will not escape, nor he who rides the horse save his life. Even the bravest among the warriors will flee naked in that day, declares the Lord. So he gives you pretty pretty poignant uh, things there on the timeline. Uh, so you can see exactly what's being referenced here. And you get it through the uh, three sons of Noah, he's he's saying this, he's putting up this dynamic for a really good reason. Um, Amen. He is setting you up. Uh, well, uh, Tim's, I, I would liken this to um, a parable, uh, which, <laughs> um, you know, in the Renaissance, ladies and gentlemen, uh, parables were called fables. Uh, they were set to rhyme. Uh, but they had reason, rhyme with a reason. It was supposed to uh, uh, subliminally uh, teach your mind uh, to set yourself up for, for a particular circumstance. That's exactly what God is doing here uh, in the Hebrew. Now, you obviously cannot see that uh, in the King James Version uh, that Jose read it in. But when you read it in the Hebrew, uh, you are being subconsciously uh, set up for what is to come. This is really rather quite comforting uh, after you've read it, oh, 10 or 12 times. Uh, you know, uh, these uh, Bible reading uh, programs are uh, quite effective that way. Uh, you know, as you can read through the Bible, uh, I know that uh, my uh, good dear friend Johnny uh, from the Iron Show, uh, that, that's what he does. He goes, goes through the Bible uh, every year. So after 10 or 12 times, if you're reading this in Hebrew, you're going to begin to see exactly what he's talking about. And you're going to begin to realize that, well, things stick out here uh, rather pointedly, um, especially when it comes to these sons. Because there is a uh, son named, uh, for some reason, uh, well, the question is, was he even born yet? What is the purpose of him being there? Uh, but through this word here, the bow, and the uh, shafts that are in the Lord himself's quiver, you're set up right here for a, a gathering uh, of yourself to understanding that one of those sons must be the arrows in the Lord our God's quiver. Because literally here with Amos 
Ezekiel. You was able to see it if you remembered. If you remembered, you were able to see that, ah, one of them are his. They're actually in his quiver. There's only one way that can take place. That would mean that those would have to be in the very presence of the Father, the Lord God of heaven. And Ezekiel is quite explicitly set up to read that way to remind you uh, what happens uh, when everybody falls down on their face uh, in heaven. Of course, doing so uh, toward he who sitteth upon the throne. Uh, So, literally speaking, we are being set up here to understand uh, just exactly what we talked about in the beginning, actually, ladies and gentlemen. And I hope you realize now that I said that for a reason. What you hold to be your greatest gift, there will come a time when the Lord your God will take them and they will cause your greatest grievance. Um, he has said this most particularly uh, about the daughters of Zion, of course. Uh, but it makes all of those very strange um, prophecies, uh, it makes you shudder uh, to your bone. Does uh, You know, we uh, think about uh, some of the many chapters that I've did on the Bible, but, uh, you know, with varying different... Uh, people with me, but, uh, you know, what a terrible thing it will be on that day uh, when uh, the daughters of Zion gives birth to the wind, and they cry out, where are the inhabitants of the earth? Well, they're in his quiver. Uh, just, exactly, uh, just exactly like Revelation chapter uh, 14 tells you right in your face. Uh, he tells you that. So um, it, it, it's through all of these uh, scriptures that nobody understands. They just don't make any sense uh, to them uh, because, of course, they have been uh, incorrectly, uh, subliminally uh, programmed uh, in the way of anti-scripture. Uh, uh, so when you realize the, dyna- the dynamics being set up right here for you to be able to see it plain as day, there is going to come a time uh, when the Lord your God is going to take a... Uh, take for himself sons. He takes them straight to Mount Zion, just like the Bible says. Um, And in their weeping, they're going to be comforted, of course, because the Lord tells them that that it is he is going to use that very uh, one for their deliverance, uh, so uh, that we all might be comforted. Um, But just take that to note. You should be able to take that to the bank. Remember what I said that which you consider to be your greatest gift will cause all of our greatest grievance. Uh, And it will be terrible indeed. Uh, I do not look forward to that day at all uh, because we all know uh, what happens uh, when uh, both a mother uh, and her uh, dad Uh, We all know what happens uh, when the most precious thing to them, uh, not only psychologically but physically, uh, they have endured the Kuma Count, of course, in great expectation 
for this new edition, and it is taken from them. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Uh, I never uh, want any of those that are with me to have to endure that because I've been a part of that one too many times, one too many times. Uh, the last time it happened, of course, they in the uh, hospital they got um, well, of course, they, they got an ink print um, of the foot, and they had it tattooed uh, on their backs uh, so they would not forget. And, oh, my God, I hated that day. Uh the mother, of course, refused to uh, let the little one be taken away until I got there. Uh, so it was actually I that uh, took. Uh, well, I um, took what was most precious. Uh, to her and handed it to uh, the nurse. Um, so this time is going to come, but it has to. It has to because, well, quite simply, he can't trust anybody else. Like he is going to train them up in the way they should go, he himself. Uh, and this group has such a rare, precious gift. Uh, they get to walk and talk with not only the king, but with his father uh, for an extended period of time while we're being taken care of. Uh, but he shall rule of the nations just like we just read. Uh, he is going to rule them uh, with a rod of iron. And that rod of iron is going to comprise two sticks, and you're told this right out in broad daylight here uh, with the riddle of these sons. Uh, so I see great hope here. I well, amen. They love their mother. The difference between those princes and the ones that currently are administering is that those sons will love their mother. You only have to look in your community, the people that you know, to see how a breastfeeding one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old, eight-month-old, the way that they are comforted, the way that they cling to their mother to know the orientation of these and why they're so terribly important. And to just uh, offer a little more color into what Matthew said, you'll take note that it starts by saying the bow was in the clouds. When you hear in the clouds, you should immediately be thinking about the Son of Man. That is our promise. That is our hope. And over and over again, the Bible talks about he is coming in the clouds. And that's what you should be drawn to. And both Matthew and Hosea, 
hinted at it, but I'm just going to come out and say it. Psalms 127, verse 4, Children are born to young men like arrows in a warrior's hand. That's what the purpose of the bow is. That's right. It is to and place them. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, you need to finish your thought. Uh, I get a little anxious. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Go go ahead and, and finish your thought. I should not have cut in. No, you're fine. I um, was just going to say is that, that those children, what we're talking about here, this moment is all about replacement. And keep in mind, um, Matthew was overcome with the emotion of the taking of the children. But keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, Christ is the firstborn of many brethren, and he is the prototype for all three types of children. And he was first taken from the Father. And the emotion that the Father had there is every bit as much relevant. And he has every right to have that which was taken from him returned with interest. And if it takes 144000 then amen, so be it. Because that is just, and that is the basis for the kingdom in the first place. Amen? Amen. And mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> I didn't mention it, but um, I wasn't going to mention it. But then Tim added that. That's why I cut in, because I knew exactly what to say. And, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to get a prophecy right now that you probably didn't even realize it's a prophecy because all your shepherds have taught you this is history. But the only other time the bow is used with the prefix, hey, of course, is in Second Kings, chapter 13. I have it I'm right going to read. <laughs> you do. Yeah, I, uh, that was, uh, yeah, awesome. We're on the same page here. Not that I'm surprised, <laughs> but amen. Well, uh, you, you, you have to remember this, ladies and gentlemen, third time is a charm. Amen. Third time is a charm. Uh, so, Tim, if you've got it up, uh, why don't you read for everybody uh, verses 14 uh, through 19. Yeah, read 14 through 19. And take, take note, ladies and gentlemen, in verse 16, Elisha knows exactly what he's doing. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a reason why he picked the window that he did. If you can read the language in which God wrote this in, it's staring you right in the face. So all the strange things that uh, your shepherds up to this point have not taught you about why he did this, you're about ready to be told exactly why. Because when Tim reads these verses, now you're going to see it. You're going to be able to perceive this string here of what, by all stretches of the imagination, is a very strange thing to be done. Amen. And you already mentioned the horses which come up several times in prophecy and is quite confusing until you actually 
see this particular uh, stanza and understand what it's what it's saying. That's right. That's right. And 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 look, ladies and gentlemen, I know this is hard for you to understand, but these very short verses. I mean, they're only six verses. The Lord your God prophetically tells you everything with just these six verses. And he does it with six verses for a reason, by the way. Amen. Okay? And when he mentions something, uh, <laughs> well, it is, it's like a perfect diamond right here, these, these six verses, Tim. It's like a perfect diamond. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. So go ahead and read it for him. All right. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness which which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you would have made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know, prophecy would have been undone right there. Don't you know that? Boy, Right there, the king could have made short order of everything. But he struck that ground only three times, because third time's a charm. Because, well, who was mentioned here? They are to come. And uh, right there, when uh, he chose the window to the east, I guess I know exactly what he said. I know exactly why he said it. So, uh, right here, ladies and gentlemen, boy, you get the full meal deal. Um, Wow. An absolutely perfect way to describe what is to come. But do you agree with me, Thames? Um, Amen. Minor fact. Minor fact, Thames. Have you ever heard a teaching on 2 Kings chapter 13? No, I've never heard a teaching on it. But when I read it, I see the uh, death of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I see the resurrection, and I see all those things there, which is probably why I've never had a teaching on it. <laughs> well, I would agree. Uh, and this is the perfect shadow in silhouette. Uh, it is perfect. It is absolutely perfect. Uh, it's a perfect inversion. Uh, it is a perfect replication of what is to come in every way, shape, and form. So, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe... Uh, Maybe you and I are just oddballs. Uh, let's ask Jose. Uh, Jose, have you ever uh, seen a YouTube prophetic teaching on Second Kings chapter 13? Uh, uh, absolutely not. 
uh, especially not anything that even came close to to what was to come, even if they they tried to attempt it. Um, but I mean, just reading uh, what is it, verse verse fourteen there, uh, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Um, I mean, that's that's the bow in the cloud right there, folks. That's what you read right there in Genesis verse nine. Uh, that's what you read in Matthew twenty four. What Thames was saying, the Son of Man coming yeah. in the cloud. Um, that's right. That's that that's uh that's what that's where your mindset should be as soon as you read those um what we're all expecting to come uh what we all read the, the book of revelation for um right there just that's the stage for what he's going to talk about prophetically well we're dealing with Syria we're dealing with that uh power which is going to be responsible the same power which was responsible for destroying the temple twice is going to be responsible the third time around. And you are going to have massive resurrections on that day, just like you did the last time around. Right. And it's pointed out right here in this scripture for you to see. And it also identifies the group which is roaming around and causing trouble. And you yes, should be expecting that. We should be absolutely expecting that. It's not helicopters. It's not all the things that you hear people talking about. But it is terribly important. Yes, it is. Amen. Amen. And by the way, the strength that you got to pull that bow back... Because you were told, I believe it's in Psalms, it talks about that bow. What was it made out of? That's right. Bronze. So now you can begin to tie this into everything else you know about those kingdoms and about those powers. You can't draw back a bow made of bronze without his help. And that's exactly what you saw happen there when the man of God helped the king pull that bow back. You can't tell me that God's word is just a random collection of gobbledygook. You can't oh, tell me that. Oh, oh, oh no. Uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, the only way I can describe it is like I, I said before. Uh, Tim, and, and I'm sure you're, you're familiar with the uh, difficulties of planing a diamond perfectly. Uh, because if, it, well... First off, your 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 first problem is is it is incredibly hard, right? And you, I hope that the listener understands how incredibly uh, impossible it is uh, to make a perfect diamond, so that when you observe it under the looking glass, uh, it refracts perfectly uh, the colors of the rainbow. It's 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 really. <laughs> Uh, astronomically difficult, and, and that's why, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can just ask the Jews. You're not going to get a diamond uh, that doesn't come from that upper room there in New York City. Um, only uh, the Orthodox Jews are allowed to go in that room, and that's how you get all your diamonds from Kohl's and, and all these other different places. Um, they are exclusively cut there in New York uh, by the Jews, and that's why. Uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, that is. Uh, so uh, it's 
just amazing, um, uh, all these things uh, that are happening. It's just absolutely amazing. And I, I guess it's time for me uh, to talk a little bit about that bowl a little bit more. Um, something is terribly wrong, ladies and gentlemen. Something is terribly wrong. Um uh, over there on the uh, social networking site, uh, back on June the 8th, um, I posted something from AccuWeather. And um, I got it via the most strange of uh, places because one of my uh, good friends is a professor um, in an institution of higher learning. He's actually uh, done multiple uh, documentaries. Um, the one that he's really quite famous with is uh, that one uh, about the Earth impact with an asteroid. But uh, he sent it to me. And he was obviously quite nervous about it uh, because the picture uh, there uh, that AccuWeather had posted because they had taken it, uh, it's not correct ladies and gentlemen, because this quadruple rainbow does not follow the curvature that it should. Actually, the one rainbow is crossing another. Now, this is uh, the name of the headline. Quadruple rainbow photo goes viral. Is it an optical illusion or a real phenomenon? Ladies and gentlemen, you can plainly see with your two eyes. It's not right. Um, of course, I went on to uh, post another one. Um, it was a dual rainbow, and of course, the arc was entirely wrong. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about physics here. And you have to understand that when you see a rainbow, it holds to that specific curvature for a reason. And when you take a look at a rainbow posted on a credible news site, because they don't know what to do with it, and display it to the whole public, and you look at it, and it makes me sick to my stomach. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you understand? Uh, it was you know, the late, great brother David Flynn that brought you all up to speed about Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton started with the rainbow. He started studying the refractive properties of the rainbow. Optics. Please do look it up. He, of course, went on to publish um, that great work uh, that brother David Flynn brought up there uh, in his work, Temple at the Center of Time, uh, Sir Isaac Newton's uh, dissertation on, of course, what was to come. So when you realize uh, this dynamics in play, I'm here to tell you that if Isaac Newton was to look at the photographs I'm looking at right now, 
he would have known. He would have known. <laughs> he would have known that the only way that rainbow can be elongated, the arc is too great. Ladies and gentlemen, the arc can't be too great. It follows the refractive curvature of God's footstool. And I'm sitting here looking at this picture right now. And I know what I could do. I I don't even need to consider what I'm looking at. This has happened. Oh, Tim and Jose have both encountered me doing this multiple times. I, I really don't need to look. I mean, I can prove it for you if, I, if, if you wanted me to, but I have posted the dimensions of where we're going, of course, on my Pinterest page. My, my daughter uploaded those uh, photos over there on Pinterest so everybody could look at them. That's what the curvature of that rainbow is. Now, everything we just talked about concerning this particular promise, I hope the rubber is hitting the road in your heart right now. Because as I'm looking at this rainbow, I I could check it, but there's no need because I've already did the calculations. I know the dimensions of his footstool are going to go to the royal count. And like I said, go to my Pinterest page and look. My daughter posted them for everybody. And this is why I had her do it. Well, how about this, Matthew? Uh, You just said the arc. Uh, Another way you could say that is is that a rainbow follows a parabola. Um, That's right. Parabola is related to parable, which you already talked about. Um, And I'll add in here that um, getting back to the very milk of what we just said, uh, the rainbow in the clouds tells you that the woman is going to be with the Lord because the woman is represented by the seven spirits. And we were told in Isaiah that in that day, seven women will take hold of one man. Okay? So you can infer from what is said there in Genesis 9 that when the bow is in the clouds, you also have the woman in the clouds with him. That's right. That's exactly right. And, by the way... Ladies and gentlemen, that, that, that article that was published on uh, AccuWeather, you can plainly see that the lowest bow is the wrong width. It's stretched out. It's scattered, so to speak, and that's, that is optically impossible. It's it's optically impossible. You can no more change the optical arc of a rainbow well than you can open up a window and 
shoot an arrow and change that arc's trajectory based on velocity, mass, gravitational uh, constant, you can't change that arc. You can't. So, with that in mind, it kind of ratcheted things up. Uh, well, amen. And if and if someone is saying, "Well, it's photoshopped," uh, a few years ago there was the whole incident when the eagle took the right. child. Ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen, don't confuse yourself. Um, the enemy is laughing at you in your face, and well, well, all you have all sorts of representations in popular media of things that you should understand prophetically. Well. It's a whole lot worse than that. Ladies and gentlemen, it was an accredited news source. I mean, let's just say it. It was Huffington Post that published that. And then they come out later laughing at you, saying that it was actually high school, or it it was actually college. That's right. It was actually um, a college class's, uh, well, uh, Tim, it was uh, what they used uh, to get their degree with. It right. was their final exam. And Huffington Post knew this and was working in conjunction with that institution of higher learning. And if you go back to the root of that institution of higher learning, of course, in the beginning, uh, they were a biblical Christian school. They knew exactly what they were doing. And... That is why, um, well, my wife got pretty upset with me about the same time this because I stopped the van, got out, recorded the rainbow with my phone. Then I grabbed her phone and recorded it for dual backup. Oh, you can say these photos are photoshopped all you want to. doesn't matter to me. I was standing there and my wife was like, wait a minute, that's not right. No, honey, it's not right. Well, why is it so long? Why is the top of the rainbow so low and the edges so wide? I mean, my reply was only, that is what is to come. Amen. Amen. And he can use popular media in any way, shape, or form to get that message to his children. Because all he told you was he will do nothing without first telling his servants. His servants, that's right. So what their intent was, or whatever, it really doesn't matter. What matters is, is that he has a message for you, and you're supposed to know what he's saying. Amen to that. Amen to that. I posted a couple links of those articles, Matthew, uh, in the chat room for folks to look up. Um, But I think we should probably take a a quick break here. Um, We still have lots to cover in Genesis chapter 9. But but we can take a quick break. But before that, I want to read uh, Psalm 127, Tim. Amen. But it says a whole lot. So I'll read that. And then we'll take a 
about a five-minute break and get back. So Psalm 127, a song of ascent, a song, a psalm of Solomon. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. That Except the Lord keep the city, the keeper watches in vain. It is in vain for you to rise early and to light and eat the bread of sorrow. But he will surely give rest to his beloved. Behold, children are the inheritance of the Lord, and of the womb his reward. As are the arrows in the hand of the strong man, so are the children of youth. This is the man that has his quiver full of them, for they shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So think on that, folks, while we uh, take a quick break here.
of Solomon. And a quick break there because we've been uh, to cover and uh, we've been talking a lot. So uh, quick there. Um, got a lot of people go talking in the chat. So if folks want to join in and see what everyone's talking about. Um, had a little that my audio was cutting out so I'll try to uh, correct that a little bit. Um, but see, Tim, Matthew, we got you guys back on? I'm here. <coughs> Cool. Awesome. So get your, your dress put away for that song, Tim. Put, <laughs> yeah, put it back was, in their place. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, teasing Joni. I was saying we're going to play the Pointer Sisters for her next. We know how much she loves the Pointer Sisters. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So just want to remind folks if they want to call in with a question or a comment, three. 215-6791. Please feel free to join. Uh, feel free to drop mentions there in the chat, and we'll address them as we get to them. Let me see. Uh, John's been sitting here. I'm going to see. I'm going to bug him. See if he wants to say hello at least. Uh, John, get ready. I'm going to put you put you on the mic. Hey, John, we got you there. John, he might be might be just be listening in, but. I I like to to get in if he uh, if he wants to add something. He always has some good stuff to add. So John, um, send me a note if you want to jump on. I'm going to go ahead and mute you. Uh, I I know you're sitting there listening in. So um, knowing John, he's he's practicing the beatitudes right now. He's probably feeding well, the neighbors. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so Joni says I keep repeating myself. I say everything twice, twice. So it must be nice, nice, uh, what, what I have to say. <laughs> um, we've been going through Genesis chapter 9, uh, lots and lots of good stuff, and we haven't even gotten to the to the punchline here, gentlemen. Um, we've been covering just the first part of that chapter. And, of course, I mean, we could stay there uh, all year and uh, and not get to the bottom of it. So I want to read Matthew chapter 24 first before we continue um, and then we can jump into into the the sons of Noah, um, what what this show is is about. Um, so I will start Matthew 24 and verse 29. Genesis chapter 9 has 29 verses, so we'll start on the 29th verse of Matthew 24. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with the great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end to the other. Now learn the parable from the pig tree, fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. 
So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. So the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour which he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, in order to prepare for all that that Matthew 24 just relayed, of course, you should read the first 28 verses, very important. But also, um, I'm sure what my brothers have to share here about Shem, Ham, and Japheth uh, will prep our minds for that day. So, Thames, um, I'll let you jump in here first. Um, on let's, let's go ahead and get into now the sons of Noah and what you saw there as you were uh, reading this. Well, I'm going to back up and I'm going to uh, comment on uh, what you just read. Uh, you just read that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. Uh, you see a picture of that there in the days of Noah. Uh, the earth was covered. And, well, when we get on uh, in future shows and we actually talk about Joseph and his brothers, you're going to see that the father put on sackcloth. And it actually describes, I believe in the New Testament, it says that the sun will be covered like sackcloth. And that is a direct reference to uh, what happens there in Genesis. Um, so again, all of these events are extremely isochronal uh, in nature. What has been is what will be. Um, I don't know how else to say it uh, other than that. But uh, Matthew, you have any comments about, um, well, I guess one other thing is to say, you talk there about the servant. Um, you're getting a, a clear picture right. of of roles 
Um, That's right. Oh, yes. You get a clear picture of Rose right there. And uh, just to clarify, uh, you know, Jose made like reference to the prior verses. Uh, I'm going to have to read uh, one of them, uh, you know, verse 19. But woe to those who are, well, we discussed this earlier, didn't we? No, it needs to be said. Yes, it, it does need to be said. Um, and woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Um, and of course, the, the following verse, pray your flight not be in the winter. Um, of course, when you know the difference between the equator and the ecliptic, you know exactly what he's talking about. Uh, you're able to see it, and you're able actually to plan for it. It's it's kind of advertised on the news just about every year. How they want you to see it. But uh, right here, the roles are established quite cleanly, uh, quite precisely, just like uh, just like Tim said. Um, that was the whole purpose um, to him saying this. Uh, the whole purpose uh, to him talking about the uh, marrying and being given in marriage, the, the whole diatribe. The whole diatribe there uh, mentioned uh, is so you'll see. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Genesis chapter nine. It's set up that way, really quite perfectly. Uh, and you know, when we talk about um, why the anomalous one, why why is one son there? Uh, why is his son mentioned? Well, maybe you need to look at it again. Okay, uh, because well, let let me just uh, how should I do that? Um, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's read Genesis uh, four, oh, starting with uh, verse twenty-one. His brother's name was Jabal, and uh, he was the father of all those who played the lyre and pipe. As for Zilhah, <laughs> she gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of implements, bronze and iron. Now I said that for a reason. Okay, because, like I said, here in Genesis uh, chapter 9, it, it's really quite anomalous. There is no reason uh, to give a mention of, of course, Ham's son. There's no reason to do it. Well, that's because he might be saying something that you can't perceive, because they've even split this up uh, in, the Strong's, uh, in the Strong's there. Um, and it's really quite amazing. So what what you're seeing there... Um, as a son uh, for one uh, of the prodigy, uh, just take note. Let let me read it. And the sons of Noah went forth from the ark were Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, and Ham. He is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and to them was the whole earth overspread. Uh, I love how the King James Version has that, of course. He just mentioned four, yet he goes to correct himself and said, these are the three. Now, you need to understand what that word is, uh, Canaan, 
in Hebrew. Uh, this is, of course, why some uh, translations uh, will split up the word. They'll just split it up. Uh, they'll come up with um, a, uh, you know, uh, 3667 A and B because they know exactly what the word here uh, being, uh, being mentioned. It's Kenna. Uh, it, it, it's, well, ladies and gentlemen, this is really no joke. It, it, <laughs> it means something that they're not wanting you to see, okay, because it means traitors. So literally here, when you read it in the Hebrew, uh, you can literally read it like the verses I just read to you before. Ham was going to be the father of traitors. Now, I know that's kind of uh, crazy uh, to you, but uh, this is the truth. Um, you look in uh, some some of the Strong's, uh, different ones. Uh, you know, there's the New American Standard Version. Uh, there, there's many different versions, one that follows the King James. But a lot of them will uh, say there's a 360... Uh, or 3667A and a, a 3667B. There's a reason for that because they're not wanting you to know that that means merchant. It is from 3665. It just... <laughs> well, you need to look at your prefixes and suffixes. It's detrimental that you learn those Hebrew prefixes and suffixes. And really... Uh, the Lord your God was wanting you to catch that. That's why uh, that word is not the one used in Revelation chapter 18. Oh, no, that's something else altogether different. You're supposed to know that. Um, and, uh, you know, I know that uh, Jose, and, Jose and I uh, have talked about uh, Revelation chapter uh, 18. We have uh, looked at that quite a few times. Uh, but I hope that you understand what I'm saying, okay? Because that is a different word there. It's not the same word used in Revelation chapter 18 in the Hebraic Bible source code. And there's a reason for that. So when you can see that, that's why God made himself perfectly clear there. And let me read it for you one more time. And ask yourself this right now. Why is there no sons for Sham and no sons for Jacob? Why is that? And the sons of Noah went forth of the ark, were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. So when you look at it that way, it makes you uh, wonder uh, where else that is used. Is he saying that um, Ham was the father of Canaan, or is he saying that Ham was the father of merchants? Now, that's probably upsetting to you that I just pointed that out to you, but please, by all means, look and see for yourself. Look and see for yourself. So, when you're able to uh, prophetically 
see that, uh, what's staring you right there in the face. It's it's kind of upsetting uh, that somewhere along the line, uh, you know, in a footnote or something, uh, this isn't made reference to, because it obviously should be. Uh, because, well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in the, you know, uh, Hebrew uh, Bible there, the Hebraic Bible source code, that exact word is used to 88 different verses. Uh, it's all over the place, and where it goes is detrimentally important, especially when you realize it's, ah, yes, they're in the first chapter of Zephaniah. And I'll read that for you. And they put it right here, the King James Version does. Okay, so you need to look this up in the King James Version. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 11. How the inhabitants of Mekash for all the merchant people are cut down. All they that bear silver are cut off. Uh, that's the same word. And it, as you could tell, it didn't say anything about Canaan. It didn't. Um, let's go to Hosea uh, chapter 12, okay? He is a merchant of balances of deceit are in his hand. He loveth to oppress. You need to know who he's talking about because it had nothing to do with the land of Canaan. And let me say this cleanly one more time. That is the exact word. The exact word. Exact form used there in Genesis chapter 9. So when you're able to see that and extrapolate it out, it rearranges your perception, the framework of why God said this. And I just challenge you that way. Why is it that in Ezekiel chapter 17, which is absolutely detrimental to what it's come, he says this. He cropped off the top of young twigs and carried it into the land of traffic. He set it in a city of merchants. Oh, that's funny. Why doesn't that say Canaan? Because that's the exact word. Why is that? that that's pretty detrimental and important. So I'm, I'm saying this so you'll be able to perceive what's, what's coming about here. All right, because he doesn't uh, give mention to any sons for Shem or Japheth. And, well, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for it. So, Tim, uh, your your thoughts, or no, better yet, Jose, your your thoughts on what I just said and, and the perception thereof. Well, it, it really kind of goes along with the conversations that me and, and Tim's were having as to how people always try to use, you know, these sons and, and the fact that they populated the earth um, to try to explain, you know, how all the the races come about and all the twisted ways that they use that logic um, to justify their own, um, you know, their own devices. And usually, like you said, those devices involve um, profit, involve making one per subjugating one person or one race uh, in order to profit from 
from their labor. And they use these verses um, to justify that instead of, you know, if, if you are to be the bride, if you are the woman, if you are waiting for the bridegroom, you're supposed to read these verses prophetically and understand that God is saying something way above our heads here when he's telling us about these stories of, of Noah and his sons. Um, he's not just explaining how the earth was populated physically. He's speaking spiritually. He's speaking prophetically. And that's exactly what Matthew just elaborated on right there. Um, just follow the merchants throughout the Bible. Uh, you'll end up right there in Revelation um, chapter 13 where uh, you have to make a choice there um, if you're going to deal with the merchants, if you're going to deal with their currency or not. Uh, and that's that's really what Matthew's trying to say there. And, Tams, maybe you can expand on that because I know you, 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 you were talking about this quite a bit um, before the show. Well, I, I have two comments, and I want to address what you just said, but I just felt permission to say something else. Um, Matthew read for us Matthew where it talks about uh, women giving suck. Now, I'm going to take the gender out of that. The closest thing <clears throat> that you will find to blood that you're allowed to eat is milk, the milk that comes from a mother when she's breastfeeding a child. And that milk does not come easily. It, it um, It's actually quite difficult for a woman to do that. Uh She's giving of her own body. She is sacrificing her own sustenance to provide for her child. And taking the gender out of it, that is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be giving suck. And if we're not doing that, we got a problem. I'd say we have a major problem because everybody knows that one of the marvels uh, of breast milk is it comes in three phases, by the way. When the baby first starts sucking, it's very thin. It's almost like water. Please look this up for yourself. But it is the only thing on the face of this planet that mimics blood in this. How is it? How is it? that the mother's antibodies wind up in that milk? How How is that possible? That whatever sickness that the mother has incurred and she has built up a resistance for it with her immune system, how is it that immune system that is only in the blood winds up in the breast milk? I'm not lying to you. Please, by all means, look it up. Then look at the vast commodity that's being encountered right now as people grasp for what has value. Look it up. Uh, there's people right now trying to find a way to uh, create corporations uh, selling breast milk. Oh, I'm not lying to you. Uh, they were all over it in Greece. But, of course, I wasn't looking in American news. I was looking in Greece news, actually, uh, because they know it's absolutely invaluable. People will pay top dollar for it, top dollar. You see, because, well, everybody knows that, uh, well, let's say that uh, a mother had been silk, uh, sick with uh, scarlet fever. 
and you, by happenstance, get the same exact ailment. Guess what's really the only thing on the face of the planet that can help you? Mm-hmm. And they'll pay top dollar for it. They will pay more for it than they will for gold. Make no mistakes. So you might want to do that. You might want to learn Greek and start looking at the Greek news as people were scrambling for new and inventive ways on how to create profit. They know what has value. And a mother's milk is absolutely priceless. It's priceless. I'm sorry, go ahead. But that's why he talked earlier about the blood, didn't he? He made very... I mean, he brought it out to you right out in the open. And he did he have any reason to say those things, Tim? Well, that was what I was just getting ready to say. He, uh, The overlap between Matthew uh, and, and what we're reading right now, it's uh, uncanny. <laughs> yeah. It's just as uncanny as peering at a diamond through the looking glass. Amen. Which is which is the same type of apparatus that of course Sir Isaac Newton used to split the light into the rainbow. Which is very prophetic even in itself. Yes, it is. But when we take a really hard look here uh, at these three sons, it's pretty easy to figure out. There's three in play. Oh my goodness, there always is. Even as there is three wives for the children of the promise, make no mistake. There's three sons as well. And this is a perfect way for you to be able to perceive it, all you guys. See, it's very hard for me to talk uh, to uh, men that, that's never read the Bible, but they gallivant around saying, I've been a Christian all my life. Okay? When I try to explain to them that, no, you're, you're, you're going to be, you had better be a part of that promise some way, and you sure as fire ain't Abraham. Okay? Um, they get really upset. Now, I can't. You know, I'm not a woman. Well, by God, you better be. That's that's all I got to say. You better be. But this is the better way to explain it. Um, and Jose, Tim, and I can just go through the whole Bible right now and show you everything to do with the children of the promise as pertained to the riddle of the wives three is exactly masculinely interpreted right here through the three sons. Amen. It has to be. It, it has to be because of those people, because of those people. Uh, now, we can also uh, talk about uh, the psychology of how people learn. Everybody knows it's common knowledge uh, that everyone does not learn the same way. And that's why the Lord our God had to do it this way, because there's some people, uh, some of the masculine persuasion, they can't, they can't perceive the wives three. And there's women that's not going to, I mean, women just can't, by the same stretch of the imagination, cannot 
mechanically understand the riddle of the sons three. So that's why God had to do this. But does he not have a right hand and does he not have a left hand? And aren't you supposed to know that? And he's going to give you a shadow, make no mistakes. He will give you personally a silhouette. Amen. So uh, looking at it that way, it's very easy to perceive who is who here. Well, amen. And think about how this has been misused, as Jose alluded to. Uh, Him and I have spoken about this privately. I can remember being in, I think, junior high or high school and being told, oh, well, Pam is uh, represents black people, and that's why they were made slaves. And I just wholesale rejected that. Um, and but you think about how many people have heard that, right? Well, and uh, well, let me rain on your party, okay? Because uh, the human trafficking capital of the world is Georgia, okay? And uh, all you need to do is investigate. Uh, what has the greatest value, I'm sorry, is Caucasian females. Okay, just go to Japan and ask somebody. They'll tell you. Okay, so, um, okay, let me get this right. Let me just ask a very stupid question to Jose. Uh, tell me, Jose, uh, was all the gladiators in Rome, so they were all a bunch of what? Afro-Americans? And then all the movies I saw was all it was everyone, all different kinds of races. Uh whoever was the, the star of the time, that's who they put in there. Well that don't make they sense never because put a good I, show. it didn't matter it didn't matter your color. Uh that's right, because uh, the greatest uh uh examples that you can see in history, well they're actually Spanish. Well that don't make no sense. Does it? That don't make no sense. You see, they God seems to have given them a very particular ability to track trajectory. It's really quite amazing. So everything that just come out of my my mouth just negates everything that Tim says he was taught in elementary school to get us to be divided and conquered. I mean. <laughs> God told us right here the most perfect perception, ah, yeah, has all the colors indeed, does it not, Tim? Well, amen. And we see uh, right here today uh, the divisions that people are trying to create based off of these uh, so-called racial identity. Ah, yes, the racial identity. The, The one that really ticks me off the worst is not concerning uh, Afro-Americans. Uh, of course, there's really no such thing. I mean, either... Oh, my goodness. So so what do you call, uh, you, you know, the, the Africans themselves? I, anyway, that's ridiculous. But the one that ticks me off the greatest are those uh, crusaders that run around and say, oh, that's the people from the Orient. That's the people from the Orient. You, you know, the, the slant-eyed yellow people. Right. Uh, gentlemen... Wake up, you idiots. Uh, have you ever lived there? Because I have. And doors would kick me off. Because I'd have to duck. Because they are a little wee people. 
No, no, really. Um, if you're six foot tall, you're a giant to them. And, and I lived with them, okay? Um, even uh, at great, uh, actually a very great risk to myself, um, I would give them oranges and things like that. And, that, of course, that was contraband. That was illegal for me to give to them. If I was to be caught, I would immediately be jailed. I really didn't care. You can take your laws and shove them. I obey the law of the word of my God. And when a wee woman would come to me weeping, because I was just coming you know, back to uh, my hut uh, with groceries from the commissary off the coast for my wife, and a wee woman would come up and grab my arm weeping, you ain't got a jail big enough to hold the likes of me. You know what a better way to say oranges. that, Matthew, is uh, you were giving her suck. That, that's right. <laughs> and uh, it just ticks me off because, ladies and gentlemen, the last slave you would want would be a wee person. You'd want somebody great big like an Amazonian uh, German, you know, great big and burly. Uh, give me a great big red-headed Irish dude, Right. Nobody's going to pay any money for an Oriental slave. But, oh, my gosh, you hate them, don't you? I mean, well, just, in our modern economy, who are the slaves? I mean, uh, you can walk around factories here in the United States, and you don't see nets to catch the people jumping out the windows. But if you go to China, you do. Yep. You have people who work three months at a time with uh, 18 hours on, four hours to sleep, an hour to, to eat, and, you know, maybe listen to some music. They'll do that for months at a time. So right. you can buy your cell phones and computers. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah. Yeah, so you can have all your stuff, Tim, because everybody knows it's it, – I mean, you're an actual idiot if, if you try to say it's not true. Um, ladies and gentlemen, everything in this country, basically uh, – is made by those slaves. And you love it, don't you? I mean, let's not miss words. Don't don't lie to me. Yeah, you call it markets. You call it markets mm -hmm. and free enterprise and competition and wage arbitrage. And guess what? Your golden calf sits right there in New York. And uh, yes, you uh, you look at it as you watch Mr. Market go up and down. Well, that's why anyone that ha that would have a perceptive eye would know what the world values the most, and then they'd strike it. And that's what I would do, right? Um, and well, Tim, I, I I mean I hate to crash everybody's party, but uh. Didn't that financial system just take a shaving of like 30%? Yes, it did. And today it's you like can't even buy or sell. I mean, it's like apocalyptical over there, is it not? Yes, it is. I mean, I mean, let's not you know mislead anybody. Uh, you do know, Tim, that uh, October 29th, 1929, uh, that financial system only lost 11%. You're aware of that, right? Yeah. No, 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 no. I said 30, yeah. 30, right off the top, before they stopped it. 
So I guess we're going to have a little bit of trouble getting our stuff, aren't we, Tim? Well, I think we told everybody back in June a little bit about this, didn't we? Yes, we, we, we sure did. Real guys, let, let me throw the call-in number here, 347-215-6791. We're about to go into the archives, folks. Call in to continue listening today or just catch it uh, when the show posts. Um, if you want to, once again, if you want to have any questions or comments, please, when you dial S1, and uh, then I'll, we'll bring you on and see, see if you guys have anything to add. Um, but just wanted to throw that in there before we continue. Um, but I just want to add one, one last thing on, on, on what we're talking about here, that if you're going to use that logic, you know, in Genesis chapter 9, that crusader logic um, about how the races are divided and how that justifies your your devices, then you're going to have to use that that logic uh, in the second half of the Bible in the New Testament, where the Lord fulfills all His promises, and all those promises come from Abraham. And I don't know about you guys, but I can't trace my genetic lineage back to Abraham. Um, I am not a Jew, and so uh, that would uh, cancel me out out of all of those promises. But I was given a bigger promise, a new covenant with the Lord my God. And that supersedes anything on the physical. The Lord speaks at and looks after his spiritual children, um, those that are his. So that's what we should all be considering as we read these verses, as when we hear people bring up these um these insane uh, you know, forms of logic that they use in reading the beginning parts of the chapter. Um the Lord looks after uh, his spiritual children, so that that's what I that's what I think on there, Matthew. Well, Amen. And and two two things real quick. Uh, over and over and over again, he tells you that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. He tells you that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And secondly. When you do that very superficial analysis of who these three uh, brothers are, I haven't ever heard one of them explain what it means to dwell in the tents of Shem, which is probably <laughs> the most amazing piece to the entire uh, curse. Because when I read yeah. it and I understood it, I mean, I jumped up and down because it was just the <laughs> coolest thing I had read in probably like a month. It was probably the coolest thing I understood in a in, a, in an extended period of time, and yet they don't talk about that. They just simply tell you, know. "Well, black people are are supposed to are cursed, and that's why they live in the ghetto, and that's why they're servants." And uh, Japheth was uh, that's referring to whiteness, and they all occupy Europe, and oh, those are the goodness. ones here in America. And uh, well, they don't even address Shem because they've gotten what they wanted out of it, which is a justification for uh, illegal weights and measures. Um, but no. I digress. <laughs> hey, man, uh, I'm going to have to bow out of this. I have responsibilities. Um, everything you just said, oh, times three. Uh, I mean, what you just said was perfect, man. That was just perfect. Uh, yeah, they don't seem to mention that, do they? No. Dwelling in the tents of Shem. Hey, man. Hey, man, I, I know exactly hey man, where you, I'm Matthew. going. All right, guys. Um, hey, 
Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed. God bless. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, Matthew well, always has a lot to say, so uh, <laughs> these uh, these shows tend to tend to go on just because uh, there's so much here, and and we haven't even, like you said, Tim, we haven't even gone into looking at Shem uh, or 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 Japheth and, and where that comes up in the Bible. No, and well, before we get back at it, um, I'd like the listener, and we have an extensive number of listeners who will probably hear this show over the next two days, keep Matthew in your prayers. Uh, He mentioned uh, two episodes back, I believe, that he had lost a job. And uh, please keep him in your prayers uh, regarding his personal situation. I know he can use them. Um, But, um, Jose, um, how much of this do you want to cover and how much do you want to do next time when we have all three of us? Well, I mean, I, I I would like to cover uh, the verses um, that I found Shem and Japheth in. Okay. I think when it comes to Ham, um, Matthew has expounded a little bit on it, specifically when it comes uh, to being the father of Canaan. And um, I know Matthew's done quite a few shows on, on Ham. And just as long as the listener understands who the Ham Shara team is, that directly ties back to Ham. Uh, the Hamshara team being, um, if we read in Genesis 22, where the Lord talks about the sand of the seashore, if we read right. in Revelation 12, where the Lord talks about the rest of her children, um, we read in Revelation 13, where those that son of Noah is given a choice to give his head and beast or to serve the Lord. Um, that's where That's where Ham will take you. Um, but I just I found some very interesting places where where Shem comes up in the Hebrew that comes up. So I'd like to at least cover those um, somewhat, and then you know we can we can do a later show tonight on that if you like. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, we've got a lot to cover. It'll it'll bleed over, but um, right. I I just wanted to set what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen, is we're going to define all three um, of God's children. Um, he has the 144,000, which you and I can't be. Uh, they are clearly defined in Revelation 14 and chapter 7. And if you just read it literally, you will come to the conclusion that you don't meet those definitions. Uh, he has the bride, uh, and then he also has the martyrs. Uh, Revelation chapter 6 very neatly um kind of categorizes this uh, as well. And you can see the child which was caught up into heaven, the woman that's taken to the wilderness, and the rest of her children who now keep the commandments, who is um, troubled by the serpent. But we're going to um, we're going to define all three of these. And after we do, I would encourage you to go back and read some of the parables in the New Testament, particularly the prodigal son, uh, and you will have a whole lot better understanding of things you've been reading for years. But go ahead, let's let's get let's get it on. Okay. So, of course, one one of my favorite things to do, Thames, is to look for these names um where they show up in the Bible and sometimes they they're not uh, translated as names. They they're actually translated as words. And so that's right. what I did uh, in this instance for for the for Shem and Japheth. And 
if we go to Ezra chapter 5, I'm not going to read all these verses. It's quite a few verses, but if um, folks want to look into it, in verses 9, 10, and 13, uh, Shem is there. And these verses have to deal with the, the issuing of the decree to build the temple in Jerusalem, right? The decree that was issued by, by Cyrus, uh, the king of Babylon, and the king of Persia. Now, the, we, know, we know what the temple is. Um, the Lord our God, really, in the New Testament, what that temple is, the temple is his body, and if we are to be his bride, we are to be that body. That temple is talking about um, God's kingdom and how, how he's going to... So here you get an inkling in the building of that temple, um, you know, where, where how should roll in that? But, but I'm going to continue from there. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. Okay, Matthew made reference to uh, giving birth to the wind earlier. Okay, this ties directly to that, giving us an idea of who Shem is, who the Lord's talking about when he talks about Shem. Okay, and in this verse, it's the, it's the word name that means Shem. Job 30, verses 1 through 7. Then the Lord answered Job out of the world and said, Is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Um, I mean, we could go into these verses in Job, uh, but they really are quite deep. Um, but just some of the initial words, Tim's, I mean, cornerstone, the morning stars, the sons of God, um, this establishment of the foundation, okay? Uh, it, it should bring your mind to the, to the temple again, to the temple of the Lord that he's going to build. Um, I mean, I don't know if you want to expound on those verses, Tim. Um, but well, the next verse will get a little bit more specific. But this is just kind of pointing you in that direction of what God's talking about when he's talking about Shem. Well, again, Shem, uh, you should be thinking of the stars uh, when you think about Shem. Because Shem is represented by that child which is caught up into heaven. And, um, yeah, absolutely. That uh, uh, I'm with you 100%. And... Um, when when we get a second, I'll re- even I'll read um, part of Psalm 104 um, to give an idea to the listener so they can see some of that. Um, right. I'll go on. Right. Okay. Um, Zechariah 12 verses 1 through 3. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens lays nation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the people around, 
And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured. The nations of the earth will be gathered against it. Micah 5, verses 1 well, hang on, six. Hang on. You, you, hang on. You, okay. said, uh, you said stretched. Yep. That yep. is a direct <laughs> reference to the bow. Okay, and you mentioned Judah, and we already said that that is what that bow is. Um, yes. So there's there's a whole lot more in that verse than what people what people realize. Right, right, and um, if you consider, I mean, we're going to get into this in Micah. Um, what causes Jerusalem to shake? Uh, and that's that's directly talking about the 144,000. That's directly talking about Shem. So if we read this in, in Micah chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 6. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With the rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace when the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels. Then we will raise against seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he will deliver us from the Assyrian when he attacks our land and when he tramples our territory. So, Tams, I found that there in verse 1 and verse 4. Um, the word laid well. is Shem, okay, and the word, the name in verse 4, is Shem. So if you want to expound a little bit on that. This was Micah, which verse? Uh, Micah chapter 5, verses 1 verse and 4. Verse 4? Yeah. Right. Um, the striking on the cheek, I mean, I mean, you know that's what, um, well, there's a whole, there's a whole, um, you know what that means. Um Again, we're talking about Judah. Um, you have a woman in labor and then bearing a child. Mm -hmm. uh, you, uh, I mean, you, 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 I mean, you basically just told prophetically what Revelation the sixth chapter says, and I would add that um, it talks about everyone being gathered together. You're talking about an assembly, which is exactly what you should be expecting. Um, so yeah, there's that's a great that's a great um four verses there. Right. I mean if we if we consider who the Assyrian after when he lays lays siege against Jerusalem, um when when that Jerusalem is gonna be trembling and the Lord makes that cup of Jerusalem uh, a trembling, you know, it's telling you here who the Assyrian's going after. 
um, right. when the Assyrian invades our land. Uh, he's going after that 144,000. The Lord here is pointing us to Shem by using that word here in verse 1. And then right. he tells us what the ultimate, where Shem ends up in verse 4. And the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Um, that's who he's going to set up as judge uh, in Israel when they replace the fallen. That 144,000 right. goes up. And, you know, um, I, you know I, I don't want to make it seem like this is an easy thing to see if you're only reading in the English. But, you know, just tracing out the name Shem, it just keeps pointing you in that same direction. Uh, well, well, that's right, and uh, it matches exactly what we read there in Second Kings thirteen. Um, we're dealing with the Assyrian, um, right? That's the that's what the bow and the arrows are 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 used against, right? Amen. Let me just cover verses um, Isaiah sixty two verses one through three. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and their salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness and all clean kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and the royal diadem in the hand of your God. So I see three there, Tams. A, a new name, a crown of beauty, yep. and a royal diadem. Um, well, name is actually the is the translation of, of Shem there, correct? Amen. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, Revelation 12, of, it comes up uh, in the Hebrew New Testament. And I could read all those, but we're kind of running out of time. So I'm just going to read the verses that, that it comes up. Okay, but obviously, um, Revelation chapter 12 is, is all, is, it is the sons of Noah. It's what, it's what me, Matthew, and Tim are trying, trying to explain here. You read that Revelation chapter 12, and you're reading Genesis chapter 9. You're being told um, who the sons of Noah are. Uh, and this time, you know, you have the woman being involved here. So Revelation verse 6, And the woman fled into the darkness where she has a place prepared of God, that they should feed her for a thousand, two, and three score days. And then verse 14, And to the woman were given two wheat eagles, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and time and half a time. From the face of the serpent. And then Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And to me, right there, Tim, is the kicker. You're being told, right. which Shem right there in describing 144,000 in Revelation 14. Um, I mean, that kind of seals the deal for me. I don't know about you, Tim. Well, well, yeah. Um, take Micah, uh, the fifth chapter. Take Revelation, the uh, sixth chapter or twelfth chapter. 
um, Shem is represented by that child, and that child replaces the stars of heaven. And um, to your point, I'm going to, maybe this is a good segue to uh, to do it, um, but understand that the lights or the stars in heaven, they mark out the boundaries of the Lord your God. Uh, he told you that he takes on light as a garment. Um and I'll just uh I'll just I'll just read it. Psalm one one oh four. Uh, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with spent splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He sets the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You cover it with the deep as a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose, the valley sank down to the place where you appointed them. You set the boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of heaven dwell. They sing among the branches. For your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. And wine is gladdened in the heart of men, oil to make his face shine, and bread to the strength of man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness, and it it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey seeking their food from God. Then the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Men, man goes out for, to his work and his labor unto evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. How is the sea great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great? There go the ships, the leviathan which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. When you renew the face of the ground, may the glory of God endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Amen. And, and I really hope that the listener can see the same things being repeated over and over that we've been discussing uh, all, all day today on the show. 
it really is just repeating um, what we've been what we've been saying, and, and that's really what the Lord does. I think you keyed in on this verse, Tim's, in that word, stretching out the heavens like a tent, and you compared that to what the Lord said about Shem. So if you want to talk about that a little bit. Well, yeah, he said uh, that he stretches out light like a garment, and then he talks about stretching out the heavens like a tent. He literally told you what the boundaries are for mankind, um, and it's it's always been that way. Um, in the beginning, when he made man, he placed him in the garden. The garden functioned as a tent. It was where man belonged. Um, in Genesis early on, you see that uh, Sarah stayed in the tent when Abraham went out and spoke with the Lord. That's, she stayed inside that boundary. Um, Sarah, when she was taken uh, by Abimelech, when she was taken by Pharaoh, she was placed in his household. Now, those households are representative of that tent. Um, you're literally getting uh, the dimensions of uh, your boundaries. And he goes on further to talk about um, that water serves the same function. Um, it, it, it functions in the same way, and, and now you can begin to understand the flood a little bit better. Um, it really, I mean, there's a lot here um, uh, in Psalm 18. We really, it'd be great. Maybe we'll do it next time in more detail um, because we're just trying to get through these words. But there's a lot here that ties in with what we've talked about. Right, and if you really understand what role the 144,000 are going to play, um, how they're going to be that covering for their mother, for the bride, um, when she meets the bridegroom, in their role, that's going to be their sole concern, is, is the protecting of that mother. Um, that's right. That bride, that woman, that's, that's their main function. And then their brothers are going to serve under them in that in that function as well. Um, that servant that the Lord talks about there in Genesis chapter 9. Uh, That's right. They are going to well, administer. They're going to administer the daily functions that are needed for uh, for right. the woman. Right. That's right. And what, what the picture I always like to draw, especially when I'm talking to to my son on this issue, uh, we consider the stars of the heaven, and we consider the sand of the seashore. The way the Lord explained their roles there in Genesis chapter 22, the sand on the seashore is that boundary for the waters of the deep. And the stars in the heaven are that boundary for the waters in the firmament. That they're well, he, playing the he, exact same role, just in, in on opposite sides. Well, yeah, and that's exactly what's said there in Psalms 18. He says, "He set the earth on its foundations, that it should not be moved. You covered it with the deep as a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountain rose. The valley sank down to the place you had appointed them. You set a boundary that they may not pass." I mean, Amen. what you just said is what he literally said right there in Psalms 18. Same thing. Amen. Kind of, kind of makes sense, right, Tom? <laughs> it does. And it's amazing that you know, you, for all of the discourse on uh, Genesis uh, chapter nine, and who's supposed to be serving who, you never get. Um, you never get the, the you never get that you never get what it means to dwell in the tents of Shem. No one ever says that, right? Which is actually the coolest part of what what you read because I can remember being a kid, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
and looking up into the night sky or talking. And I remember people talking about UFOs and how, how big the um, universe is and will we ever go out there and explore. And, and, and well, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. It actually says quite a bit if you if you read it. It actually says quite a bit about it. Um, right. It's it's just amazing. It, it it absolutely is. Yeah, I really hope that that comes across to everybody how how true his word is. Um, I guess that do you have anything else to add on Shem uh, Thames before I jump into Japheth over here? No, go ahead because I think Japheth is actually the most um, is is actually pretty interesting, and it's probably the one that right. is most often confused. Right. So I, I have a little story to tell about that. Um, when when you first started bringing up these verses for us to discuss uh, on on the air, uh, of course I, I I did a little study there with my son. And I thought it was important for him to understand what was being said here, and we read through Genesis chapter nine, and then you know. He, he understands that whenever we see the three, we need to, to look and try to figure out who who is who so we can understand what the Lord is saying. And so I asked him that question, you know, who is who in these in, in Noah's three sons? You know, I, I just came out and asked him. And I expected him to be along the same line of thinking that I was. When I first read it, of course, my name stuck to Ham. And I saw that, he, that, that um, through him, Canaan was cursed, and I saw everything that he was going to be a servant, so right away, I connected with the Hampshire team. I connected with those who were g- going to be caught in their rebellion when the Lord uh, kicks everything off and they were going to have to give the ultimate sacrifice to serve the Lord. That's who I keyed in on. And so I kind of expected my son to be along the same line of thinking because that's the easiest one to pick out. Right. But he jumped to Japheth. Right away, he said, oh, Japheth is the woman. And And it caught me and it kind of ruined my whole little surprise here my whole little presentation that I was going to have you know I was going to kind of lead him in a direction and I had this all planned out and he just he just cut to the chase right and uh, <laughs> so I asked him I said why? why why do you say that and he says because he says he's going to enlarge JPEG and, and that's what he keyed in on and, and that's what he what what he saw what told him that that was the woman um, we understand if we consider the woman as as the body of Christ if we consider the woman as the temple um, we know that in Ezekiel, we're not told the height of that new temple. We're not told how large the Lord is going to make it. And and that's what I think about when I read Japheth here, that he will enlarge Japheth. Um, when you look at these verses in the Hebrew Thames, it, it, it says, Japheth, Elohim, uh, Japheth. The, the Japheth in the second one is spelled a little bit differently, but essentially that's what it's saying. It repeats Japheth in the Hebrew. So if you could read it in the Hebrew, you would automatically know that the Lord is telling us more than just this, this guy's name. He's he looked into this a little bit deeper. And so, and of course that's what I did when I, um, so unless you, you would want to add something before I jump into the verses, Tim? No, go ahead. Okay. So a few places where I found this word, uh, J in the Hebrew, Genesis twenty nine sixteen and 17. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. 
And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel. For Jacob, uh, verse 17, in reference to Rachel, the favored wife. And uh, if we consider who Rachel gave birth to and all those prophetic implications. But I'll, I'm a, I'll continue. Genesis 41, verses 17 through 19. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven kine, fat-fleshed and well-favored, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kine came up after them, poor and very ill and lean-fleshed, such as they never saw in the land of Egypt for badness. Well-favored, of course, right there in verse 18. 1 Samuel 25, verse 3. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. The woman here being of good understanding and beautiful countenance. And if you continue reading that that chapter there, you understand what Abigail did and how she found favor with the king. Well, that's right. And Abigail, uh, um, we know that uh, Nabal uh, died after 10 days. And we know that uh, right. we're going to be tested for 10 days. And then you're going to be uh, taken. Um but before that, you mentioned the, the lean and the fat and how, I mean, the, the rest of that story is is that the lean gobble up the fat. And, you know, we've already talked about that. The, the wealth of the righteous is stored up in the wicked and eventually gets transferred. Um, you know, we started off the show talking about things being taken from you. Um, all those things that are being taken from you are eventually going to be given back uh, with interest. Um, and if when you understand that prophetically, it, it bothers you a whole lot less. So just a, a few more verses, Thames. Genesis 12, verse 11. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman. Okay, the word fair there being Japheth. And I think you kind of uh, alluded to this story, Tim, um, when the the king of Egypt there desires to take Sarah as his wife. Esther 2, verse 7, And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So those are just a few of the verses there, Tim's. But, I mean, we can see the references here to the woman, um, to the bride, being beautiful, being well-favored, being fair. Uh, this just kind of, the Lord kind of puts it in your face there here, who, who he's talking about in reference to Japheth. Well, amen. People try to reduce it down to color and say it means white people. Um, that's not what it means. It's referring to the bride. Then it's referring to her behavior, and uh, it is used uh, over and over again as a descriptive term, a positive descriptive term uh, of the bride. 
Um, so that's what you should be seeing. And that's what you should understand JFIF to represent. And of course, uh, more importantly, JFIF dwells in the tents of Shem, which matches up perfectly with what we have been saying for years. Um, the 144,000 are caught up into heaven and they mark out the boundaries. Yeah, it really is quite quite amazing. And, and you know, I, I don't want to seem like we're talking over people's heads. I know we're, we always have new listeners who are kind of jumping into this um, and who maybe haven't gone through all these things uh, prophetically the way we have and really studied the 144,000, really studied um, those uh, that have to give their heads for the testimony of the Lord, has really studied what the bride means prophetically. Um, oh, when you just understand that you have those feet that you have to figure out where you lay in the in that, because those three, you know, encompass the kingdom of God. And if you say you are of the kingdom of God, then you're going to fall in one of those three categories. And when you and understand you can't be what one role of they play, amen. There's amen. one that you can't be. I mean, you you cannot be one of the hundred and forty-four thousand. Simply read Revelation chapter seven, chapter fourteen. And if you are honest with yourself, you can only conclude one thing, and that is that you cannot be uh, one of them. So that means you are going to be the woman that is in the wilderness or the rest of the children which now keep the commandments. But it's the only, I mean, it's simple. Right. It really is. And, And when you understand those three, it helps you to not only read and understand the Bible, but be able to, it, it keeps you from falling into those traps like, like we were talking about earlier, where you interpret this part of the chapter in the Bible, Genesis chapter 9, as, you know, telling us about the races and all that. Um, you know, that, that thought doesn't even enter your mind as you're reading because you're looking for the 144,000. You're looking for the woman, and you're looking for the rest of her children. You're, you're, you're looking for how those how the Lord's, what shadow the Lord has given us, what silhouette the Lord has given us uh, in, in this tale, in this story here um, of Genesis chapter 9. Well, and amen, really... and how about this? We've been all, all over the Bible. We've been in the New Testament. We've been in the Old Testament. We've been through the prophets. We've been uh, in the so-called history books. And everything that we're saying matches up with everything else. Amen. In a book that supposedly that has 66 different authors... Or I'm sorry, in a book that supposedly has 66 different books, um, that's only possible because what he said it was true yesterday, today, and forever, and it should match up and it should be consistent. And if you actually define these terms, then you can go into the the prophetic books and actually have an idea of what they're talking about. They won't it won't overwhelm you. <laughs> You'll be able to understand what's being said. It's the only way you can. I mean, if you don't do that, you're thinking that, but what, what is he talking about a bow and arrow for? Why is he mentioning a cloud? You have to remember what you read last time, and you have to 
uh, understand um, everything needs to match up. And when it doesn't match up with what you already know to be true, you need to keep digging. You need to keep digging a little bit deeper and look for where it does match up and where it will make sense. Because he's not a hypocrite and he's not a liar. And he can use whatever word he wants. He used every single word for a reason. And, um, well, when you do it that way, your faith becomes unshakable because you know that what you're reading is true. Well, and what I also find amazing, Tim, is the fact that the Lord has used this flood story throughout all cultures um, to let people know what was to come. Uh, we we get the the unvarnished truth here in in God's word in the Bible, but all cultures have have their flood story. All cultures have the same themes in that flood story, and it all tell, tells the same story. Um, real quick, I want to read a little bit from an article that that uh, John John Gomez posted here. Um, starting sim- startling similarity between Hindu flood legend of Manu and the biblical accounts of uh, in 1872, the amateur Assyriologist George Smith made a discovery that would shock the world. While studying a particular tablet from the ancient Mesopotamian city of Nineveh, he comes across a story that many would have been familiar with. When Smith succeeded in deciphering the text, he realized that the tablet contained an ancient Mesopotamian myth that paralleled the story of Noah's Ark from the book of Genesis. Today we are aware that flood myths are not only found in Near Eastern society, but also in many other ancient civilizations throughout the world. Accounts of the Great Deluge are seen in ancient Sumerian tablets, the Deucalion in Greek mythology, the lore of the Quiche and Maya peoples of Mesoamerica, the Gunyu myth of China, and the stories of Lakort, Oryas, Ojibwa tribe of North America, to name a few. One of the oldest and most interesting accounts originates in Hindu mythology, and while there are discrepancies, it does bear fascinating similarity to the story of Noah and his ark. Okay, and I won't go into the into the whole story of there, but obviously Manu is a holy man. Manu gains favor uh, with the gods, and he's saved from this flood. And Manu is said to have three sons before the flood: Charma, Sharma, and Yapeti. Okay. Now, people should immediately immediately notice the similarities there to the biblical story of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. But, Shem, I wouldn't doubt that if you investigated the etymology there of those sons of Noah, that we're going to see the same picture painted that the Lord tells us in the Bible. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a hope there that, that he's left for those people um, that when they hear the truth, it'll ring with what they already know. And, you know, that's that's really is a testament to the power of God's words. It's a testament to his love. It's a testament to, to how he's planned this from the beginning, how he's known this since the beginning. Um, so some comfort in that, James. I don't know about yourself. Well, well amen. And, uh, you know, we're accountable for what we know. And right. if someone is in a society where they've never heard about Jesus, they are um, judged by the Beatitudes. And, um, you know, you can go any culture around the world, and they all have 
they've all named the stars. And they've all come to very similar conclusions about which constellation represents what. And it's startlingly uh, how many common denominators there are. Um, you can go to Africa. You can go to South America. You can go to North America. You can go to Asia. Uh, Europe, it doesn't matter. Um, seven continents, by the way, um, interestingly enough. But these things, these first truths are pretty universal, um, whether people want to admit that or not. Um, it really is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just, you know, if if you're... If you're one of these, you know, tribes that were that were that were about at these times when they were relaying these flood stories, Tim, all they would have to know is right there what says that Manu was righteous, um, and 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 what he did to win to win the favor of of his God, and if they would just follow that, and we we know that those those righteousness that he would have had to have followed would have had to have been the beatitudes, and and they follow that, you know, then. I mean, so they would they would be looked upon favorably by the Lord. I mean, I, I, I have I have faith in that. So, you know, it's just it's just a little bit of of, of hope. It's just a little bit of um, you know, just just amazing, just amazing how how God does that. Uh, that that's all I can say. You know, he he loves his children so much that he would leave that there for them. You know, but also to realize the blessing that we have in having his word and in, in being able to know and understand the truth. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate thing. Um, if these peoples are given shadows uh, of what is to come, we're told real plainly what is to come. And, and we have no excuse. If you call yourself a Christian in today's day and age, and if you have access to these resources, you really have no excuses for what the Lord, your God wants you to do and, and how you're supposed to act in order to be, considered a bride for his son. Well, amen. And that really ultimately is the most important thing, is is those beatitudes. Um, and, uh, you know, I can remember being a kid and being concerned about people who had never heard about God. But, you know, when you spend some time in the Psalms and you realize that his kingdom is established in righteousness and justice, um it would not be just to hold someone accountable for something that they didn't know. You would have to hold them accountable for their intent. Uh, and your conscience, we're all born with a conscience, uh, and that leads us um, to what we should or shouldn't do on a daily basis. And uh, in that, I find comfort. I'm not concerned about... Um, someone ending up innocently uh, where they're not supposed to be. That's not possible because that's not the basis of his kingdom. He wasn't a Pharisee or a Sadducee. He was something else. Amen. Amen. Do you have anything else you'd like to ask them? Um, we're getting here to the last 15 minutes of the show. Um. There's a whole lot more for us to talk about, but I'm right. I'm fine with leaving it for another time. I'm I'm actually getting a little bit tired. Um, 
<laughs> it's been a it's been a long weekend. <laughs> right. And um Okay, well let let, I, let, let me uh, let me wrap up the show here with a yeah. a little chapter out of the Bible. Um and again this ties out to how we started off this discussion with the bow. Um and that this time it was in the Greek that I searched it out and I found it appearing in this chapter. A uh, Psalm 78, uh, a Psalm of Asaph. But I'm going to go ahead and read this from the Greek Bible um, for us. And and once again, people just, just listen to the similarities of what we've been saying all the whole show. It ties back to Genesis 9, ties back to Matthew 24. Uh, all these things that we've been discussing, um, you're going to see it repeated. You're going to see the Lord repeat himself. So Psalm 78, a psalm of instruction for Asaph. Give heed, O my people, to my law. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter dark sayings which have been from the beginning, all of which we have heard and known and our fathers have declared to us. They were not hid from their children to a second generation. The fathers declaring the praises of the Lord and his mighty acts and his wonders which he wrought. And he raised up a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to make it known to their children that another generation might know even the sons which should be born and they should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope on God and not forget the works of God, but diligently seek his commandments that they should not be as their fathers, a perverse and provoking generation, a generation which set not its heart aright and its spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, bending and shooting with the bow, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and would not walk in his law. And they forgot his benefits and his miracles which he had showed them, the miracles which he wrought before their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the plain of Tanis. He claved the sea and led them through. He made the waters to stand as in a bottle. And he guided them with the cloud by day and all the night with fire. He clave a rock in the wilderness and made them drink as in a great deep. And he brought water out of the rock and caused waters to flow down. And they sinned yet more against him. They provoked the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their hearts in asking meat for the desire of their souls. They spoke also against God and said, Will God be able to prepare a table in the wilderness? For as much as he smote the rock and the waters flowed and the torrents ran abundantly, will he be able also to give bread or prepare a table for his people? Therefore the Lord heard and was provoked, and fire was kindled in Jacob, and wrath went up against Israel, because they believed not in God and not in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds from above, and opened the doors of heaven, and rained upon them manna to eat, and gave them the bread of heaven. Man ate angels' bread. He sent them provisions to the full. He removed the south wind from heaven, and by his might he brought in the southwest wind. And he rained upon them flesh like dust, and feathered birds like the sand of the seas. And they fell into the midst of their camp round about their tents. So they ate and were completely filled, and he gave them their desire. They were not disappointed of their desire, but when their food was yet in their mouth, then the indignation of God rose up against them and slew the fattest of them and overthrew the choice men of Israel. 
In the midst of all this, they sinned yet more and believed not his miracles. And their days were consumed in vanity and their years with anxiety. When he slew them, they sought him, and they returned and called betimes upon God. And they remembered that God was their helper, and the Most High God was their Redeemer. Yet they loved him only with their mouth, and lied to him with their tongue. For their heart was not right with them, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he is compassionate, and will forgive their sins, and will not destroy them. Yea, he will frequently turn away his wrath, and will not kindle all his anger. And he remembered that they are flesh, a wind that passes away and returns not. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness, and anger him in a dry land? Yea, they turned back and tempted God, and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, the day in which he delivered them from the hand of the oppressor. How he had wrought his signs of Egypt and his wonders in the field of Tanis, and had changed their rivers into blood and their streams that they should not drink. He sent against them the dog fly, and it devoured them, and the frog, and it spoiled them. And he gave their fruit to the cankerworm and their neighbors to the locusts, killed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. And he gave up their cattle to hail and their substance to the fire. He sent out against them the fury of his anger, wrath, and indignation, and affliction, a message by evil angels. Away for his wrath, he spared not their souls from death, but consigned their cattle to death, and smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt, the fruits of their labors in the tent of Chem. And he removed his people like sheep. He led them as a flock in this, and he guided them with hope, and they feared not. But the sea he covered their enemies, and he brought them into the mountain of his sanctuary, this mountain which his right hand had purchased, cast out the nations from before, and made them to inherit by a line of inheritance, and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yea, they tempted and provoked the most high God, and kept not his testimonies, and they turned back and broke covenant. They became like a crooked bow, and they provoked him with their high patience of jealousy with their graven images. God heard and lightly regarded them and greatly despised Israel. And he rejected the tower of Salem, his tent where he dwelt among them. And he gave their strength into captivity and their beauty into the enemy's hands. And he gave his people to the sword and disdained his inheritance. Fire devoured their young men and their virgins mourned not. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows shall not be wept for. So the Lord awaked as one out of sleep, as a mighty man who has been heated with wine, and he smote his enemies in the hinder parts. He brought on them a perpetual reproach, and he rejected the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary as the place of unicorns. He founded it forever on the earth. He chose David also his servant and took him up from the flocks of sheep. He took him from following the ewes, great with young, to be shepherd of Jacob his servant and Israel his inheritance. So he tended them in the innocency of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. So that right there, Tim. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> 72 verses to be exact. Um, but I mean, it's 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 telling you 
what Genesis chapter 9 is all about. It's telling you what is to come. Um, it's telling you how to walk the straight and narrow. It's laying it all. It's laying it all right out there. So that's that's where that's where this study took me, um, and, and I found that on chapter to get into. Amen. Um, he says the same things over and over again. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, we're about out of time, but most importantly, if you need someone to pray with you because you want to become a Christian, if you need someone to help you, uh, we'd be happy to do so. Uh, on the show page, you'll find our email address. You are welcome to reach out to us. We would be happy to pray with you if you have a need. Um, we're here. We we uh, could think of nothing better than helping someone uh, into the kingdom of God or uh, someone who has been in the kingdom and is not sure if they still are a member or how to get back to it. Uh, we would be happy to try and assist you. Uh, we love you. We care about you deeply. And um, that's why we do this. Um, we're not here for money. We're not here for fame. We're here for you. Um, we've been um, told to do this, and we do it. And it's for you. So if we can be of any assistance, please let us know. Amen, Tim. Well said. I agree with everything you said there. Folks, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll get back again, and we'll start going into a little bit about the story of Joseph. I know Tim's has a lot to say about that going on there. So I really hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you again to Matthew for joining us. Thank you, Tim, for coming on with me. Um, and we'll see everyone next time. God bless. God bless. <laughs>